Whether you're giving service and in, in selling a piece of real estate, whether you're making a martini, whether you're driving someone from one place to another place, if you can make that little piece of somebody else's life, a, typically a stranger, uh, enhanced by your being there, then you can't help but win from that. You, you gain confidence, you gain insight, you gain knowledge that they may share with you. There's so much to gain by, by those little short love affairs with people and giving them great service with whatever you do. Does it make you happier? It does. Yeah? Absolutely does. Yeah, absolutely. You have to choose to be happy. You have to make you have to make yourself happy. If you're sitting there right now and saying, "Listen, I've been in a long-term relationship, but I don't know if I'm happy." Make it happy. It's work. You have to, you know, to buy, buy your spouse some flowers. Take them on a trip if you're bored. If 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 your if your love life is is um, lacking, you know, spice it. Do do something to to make your life better. You all, I don't want to offend your listeners, but I believe you only go around one time in your life. We talked about Mae West, who said, you only go around one time in your life, but if you do it right, that one's is enough. So, you know, we're, we're, we're spinning around on the third rock from the sun. We are an ant farm. You know, our life is so fleeting and so delicate that you got to wake up in the morning and choose to be in love, choose to be happy, choose that this day is going to be better than the day before, or at least you've learned something from the day before. Mate, I've got the tears flowing. That, <laughs> that, last, that last 30 seconds is just a little piece of gold, pal. Certainly, um, a love for things is really unnecessary in your life. I mean, they're just things. That's a wow. Um, you know, for for you to have a let's say a favorite toy when you were a kid, and you're some a foster kid you've just met has broken that toy. Well, you get over it. You know, that's they they needed that toy more than I did, or you know that experience more than I did, and you learn that that it's really about relationships in life that bring you happiness, not tangible items. Yeah. The one who dies with the most laugh lines on their face wins. Wow, 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 wow. Hey, you've just joined A Journey with Bernie. Greetings, precious and beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of A Journey with Bernie. Yes, my name is Bernie Kelly, and it's such a joy to be your show host and to create these weekly opportunities for you and I to discover actions and strategies, concepts and paradigms, processes and routines that our guests suggest might just help you and I to find greater love for self, sustainable inner happiness, and more meaning in our humble lives. That, my dear people, is what this podcast is all about. I've been on the journey of discovering joy from first breath. Thank you, Mum and Dad. But gee, my professional coaching life of the last 30 years with corporate clients and students across the globe has certainly helped me to see more, to do more, and to understand how to be more. I'm a consumer of life, a lover of nature. I do know its power. And that's why I do want to take you to the summit of Kilimanjaro, the base of Mount Everest, the intrigue of Machu Picchu, or that epic spiritual adventure across northern Spain. Ah, the Camino. You will be invited. Of course, like you, I'm searching for answers too. And this is why each week we explore the thoughts of our wonderful podcast guests, some of whom carry a very high profile on both the domestic and international stage. While others, dear people, they are just humble people like you and I. But one thing is certain, they will all open our eyes to new possibilities. Hey, we're all on this journey called life, aren't we folks? Let's embrace it. 
Today, you put on your curiosity hat, put on your jacket of learning, and let's together explore life's possibilities on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Well, welcome, folks. Great to uh, great to have you on board again. Another journey with Bernie. I'm very excited for a number of reasons today. Um, I don't know whether you've ever heard of a sporting event called State of Origin, but let me just say this: I'm about to lose some listeners in saying what I'm about to say. It's great to be a Queenslander. Queensland won the third state of origin, which is Australia's version of the Super Bowl last night. And those that watched it saw a terrific game of football. Ian Souter, our guest, did you watch the state of origin last night? I did indeed, Bernie. I did indeed. <laughs> and you heard that uh, that tone there. We've got a Canadian gentleman with us this morning. And uh, you've seen sport from all around the world. How did you feel about watching the state of origin last night? That was a fantastic game. I wasn't sure I was going to watch all of it, to be honest with you, because I had a, a busy evening, but I couldn't, I couldn't look away. It was the, absolutely fabulous. The first five minutes was just captivating, gladiatorial, yeah. wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah it just was. fantastic. Ian Suda excites me. Um, if you Google him, he, he's going to come up um, in reference to a lot of real estate sites. However, what excites me is his profile. When I say his profile, his bio, we've got a Canadian gentleman who grew up in the dark side of Vancouver. We're going to learn a little bit what that means. But get a load of this, folks. With his parents, um, they ran a group, a, a home for 130 foster children over 20 years. Ian also skites about a perfect record in amateur boxing. Ian, what is that record? Uh, I had three amateur fights, uh, yes. Bernie. Yes. And uh, I finished 0 and 3. In 0 and 3. Yeah, 0 and 3. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I worked hard for that <laughs> you, record. You meant 3 and 0, didn't you? No, I did not. Uh, 0 and 3. Yeah. You lost all three. <clears throat> I did. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. Thanks to for find... bringing that up, Bernie. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> interesting to find out what that experience actually looks like. Chauffeur, real estate agent. He owns his, um, his own real estate in Noosa, Queensland. But he's also been a bartender, bar manager, worked in 23 different bars, three different countries, and opened 11 of them. Hey, what about this? Had lunch with the CEO of Disney, crossed paths with Arnie, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, etc., etc., climbed Kilimanjaro, and married the woman of his dreams. Now, I think with all those experiences... I've just got a feeling that Ian's got a lot to teach us about what makes a loving human being and what can generate sustainable happiness. Surely he's learned so much from this wide variety of experiences. Ian, can we go back to the foster home, go back to childhood, go back to those early days in Vancouver? What was it like being? A family of four, four children, and having so many pseudo brother and sisters. Well, it was never dull. I give you that. Um, I was born in Winnipeg with my family, which um, if anyone ever tells you that hell is fire and brimstone, they're incorrect. It's 40 feet of, uh, 40 below and, and eight feet of snow. But growing up as youngest of four with um, always typically four other foster children in the house for my entire upbringing from when I was one to when I moved out when I was um, 16. The, the admittedly, Bernie, I had resented it at the beginning because that was my family. My love was supposed to be for me. It was my toys they were playing with, my room they were sharing, my you know dining room table we were breaking bread at. But looking back on it as I grew older, it's just that you couldn't have grown up in a more loving environment with, uh, with parents who were giving so much of their time, energy, and, and home to um, underprivileged children. Give us the names of two foster children that impacted you at that time of your life? Sure. We had 
Jason Teichman. Um, Jason, in the last 20 or so foster kids that my mom dad fostered were severely handicapped children. Jason had cerebral palsy. Jason was blind. He was incontinent. He had uh, suffered from retardation uh, in his learning abilities. And many of my friends and, and uh, around me said to me, how do you, how do you stay happy in an environment around that? And Jason, he was the happiest kid you'll ever meet. Jason, you know, sat on the floor. He was fed. He laughed all the time. He was always in a good mood. He knew nothing of taxes. He knew nothing of mortgage payments. He knew <laughs> nothing of heartbreak. He was a great, great kid and a, and a little brother to me for my f parents fostered him for 25 years, I think it was. So he, yeah. What did you learn? What did you personally learn from a Jason? You learn from someone like Jason, that no matter where you are in your life, no matter the level of despair you think you're in, the, the disadvantage you think you have, there is always somebody worse off than you. Always. And you're learning this between the ages of you know, one and 16 years of age. So yeah. this is a, a, a very strong and profound learning at this tender stage of your life. Give us another person that you remember so fondly they impacted you. Connie. Connie was, uh, she was a, a, a native uh, Indian Canadian and she came to us. She would have been about seven. I would have been about 10 years old. Yeah. And I remember my folks sitting me down at the Sunday dinner table saying that, you know, m m next morning, Monday morning, we're going to have a girl named Connie come to us. She's been physically abused in her life. She's been mentally abused in her wow. life. She's had a lot of heart heartache and she's unhappy. So we need to bring her into this environment to see if we can allow her some happiness in her life. And um, it was difficult. We had Connie for a long couple of years and she, she had stolen things from us and gotten lots of mischief and done all that. But she grew into a wonderful young girl. And um, my parents had a great and profound impact on some of those kids, most of those kids, all of those kids, thereby having a great impact on us and how um, we should share, how we should be generous, how we should be giving, how we should be able to um, allow others into our life and into our family openly and, and, and lovingly. Wow, this is, a, this is a very powerful upbringing. <laughs> so I've got this picture of your family home and it's loud, Bernie. It's very loud. <laughs> <laughs> and there are four children. You're the youngest. Yep. Um, and then there are another four possible four children. Usually, yep. Who are being fostered by you and your parents. And, and they come from different backgrounds. We've got some who are native Indians. We've got some who probably come from different cultures. We've got some Caucasian children, but you also had a number of disabled, um, severely handicapped children as well. Just share with us out of that whole experience from this variety of different foundations that describe the spirit of these children, what did you personally learn that has impacted you for the rest of your life? Good, tough questions. Certainly um, a love for things is really unnecessary in your life. I mean, they're just things. That's a wow. Um, you know, for, for you to have a, let's say, a favorite toy when you're a kid and you're some a foster kid you've just met has broken that toy. Well, you get over it. You know, that's, they, they needed that toy more than I did, or, you know, that experience more than I did. And you learn that, that it's really about relationships in life that bring you happiness, not tangible items. Yeah. But respond to this, Ian, what I'm actually hearing you say is, is what you're not saying. And, 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 and please don't let me put words in your mouth. You're also saying that irrespective of their foundation, you still came to see equity, that there was, there was you and them, and regardless of their background, you could still relate and connect to them? Absolutely. It's... Again, when you're younger, it might be a little bit easier. People get older, they get set yeah. in their ways. But when you're your kids and you're relating to other kids, you know, I did see, you know, physical equity there when I said, geez, you know, there's a lot of dishes to do. I'm glad we got an extra hand to do them tonight. <laughs> but also I saw the equity in the fact that it taught us to 
think more highly of ourselves yeah. because we didn't weren't disadvantaged like they may have been. And so we learned to appreciate the little we had. And we were certainly not wealthy. My, my father was a, a transit bus driver and my mom didn't work outside of the house other than and raising all these kids. So we didn't have a lot of money. We shared a lot of clothes, you know, being the youngest of four. Thank God I had brothers or I would have been wearing dresses all my life. But yeah. um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but um, certainly the the what we got out of it as a family was to be charitable to others makes you better yourself. Why did your parents do it? Well, they were immigrants from England to Canada. We didn't have much money. And I think that my mom has always just had a love for kids. I, I believe when she started in Winnipeg, her first foster child, I think she got $30 a month, a dollar a day to raise a child, which wasn't enough to pay for the yeah. school books and the clothes and the food and all that stuff. But she did it because she wanted to give back to her community, her new country of Canada, and um, you know earn a little bit on her own because the, um, my dad was the primary breadwinner. So that's why it started. But it grew immensely from then. We grew into the foster home in the mm, area so mm. you've had other experiences too ian that have contributed to this being able to see every person as a brother and sister that's a bernie term please don't adopt that if it doesn't fit with you but i'm imagining that you see all people a lot of people as not higher or lower they're just another one in the journey of life. You've had other experiences. I'm reading about bar manager of 23 bars in three different countries. Can you share with us what that taught you about people? Yeah, I, a lot of people out there think that the service industry is beneath them, you know, and, and giving, you know, service to other people, they should be receiving it, not not giving it. I, I think the opposite. I get great joy out of getting great service to people. Um, there's a very famous saying that it, when it comes to hard work, some people turn up their sleeves, some people turn up their noses, and some people don't turn up at all. Yeah. And I've always been a sleeve turner, I suppose. And, and I, I never shy away from hard work. But giving someone excellent service. And again, I grew up in an environment where you would be tipped for this service as well and create an income from it. But that wasn't my driving force because I worked in other countries as well. But certainly, um, including Australia, <laughs> mm -hmm. don't tip. But I, you know, giving someone great service and a great experience and leaving with a happy smile makes you a better person. I truly believe that. What's the benefit to you of serving people? Like you, 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 you've told us about the principle, but now I'm asking you, how do you gain from such service? Well, the, you know, people work hard for what they do. And whether you're giving service in, in selling a piece of real estate, whether you're making a martini, whether you're driving someone from one place to another place, if you can make that little piece of somebody else's life, a, typically a stranger, uh, enhanced by your being there, then you can't help but win from that. You you gain confidence, you gain insight, you gain knowledge that they may share with you. There's so much to gain by by those little short love affairs with people and giving them great service with whatever you do. Does it make you happier? It does. Yeah? Absolutely does. Yeah. Absolutely. Give me three of your values. What what are uncompromisable values that you would aim to live on a daily, hourly, momentary basis. Momentary, hey, welcome to humanity. That's a big deal. But what are three values that are just uncompromisable for you? Well, I've alluded to one already, integrity. And I believe that that is such a great focus with your kids, with your relationship, with your work, with your life. Do what you say you're going to do. If I say to my daughter, listen, I'm not going to work late on Saturday, no matter what. I'm going to take you to a movie. And someone wants to make an offer on our house, I will delay that because that I've, I've committed to taking my daughter to a movie. Yeah. That must happen. Family do you, first. Do you tell then the, the, the person, hey, yeah. I can't see you Absolutely. because a bigger commitment for me is yeah. taking my Absolutely. daughter. Yeah. Absolutely. So they hear this level of openness and, respect and transparency. And what did you say then? They respect it. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting contribution to trust. It is. And, it? Yeah. And, and respect is something that is equally as hard to earn as well. Um, also, in, in regards to values, 
we want to be able to treat others. This is such a cliche to say, but treat others like you expected to be treated. There are some people out there that treat others and then split. Yeah. You need to treat others like you would like to be treated. And every now and again, just stop and smell that rose. You know, just mm. say, hold on, what am I about to do here? So you, I tell the truth all the time. It gets me into trouble a lot, but I tell the truth all the time. And you know why I tell the truth? Because I have a terrible memory. And if I told <laughs> lies to people, I couldn't remember them. Well, hold on. You said this. I know. I, I often have when you meet someone you don't know and, and, and you meet them again for the second time, we've decided to choose you as our real estate agent. Uh, we'd like to list our house for $4 million. Mm. Well, why do you want to do that, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Client? Well, you told us it's worth $4 million. Hold on a second. You had a conversation with me and you said you think your house is worth $4 million. Mm. I said, it's most probably worth in the $3 million to the buyers in this market today. Could you get $4 million? It's not a, uh, a science that I do. It's more of an art firm. Could you get $4 million? Possibly, but a low probability. Mm. High probability, $3 million. Four, yeah. Low yeah. probability, yeah. $4 yeah. million. All they hear is me, yeah. the word $4 million yeah. coming out of my yeah. life, yeah. out of my mouth. And so, you know, I just, I, you have to be truthful all the time. So you have integrity. You be truthful. You give to others as you would uh, want to give to yourself. And above all, be kind to people. There's too much pressure and you don't know what's happening behind mm. the, 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 that, those closed doors. Just be kind to people. Mm. Be nice. Mm. Read um, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence oh, People. Oh, this is an oldie. Yeah, any, any, any young person out there, I believe, should read How to Win Friends and Influence People. Silly name for a book, you may think, but it's a great read and should be mandatory in schools for anyone who's 16. Is that a, is that a book that advocates the values that you're talking about here? Some, Kindness? Yeah, some. Yeah. And be genuinely nice to people. Mm. Like, don't be nice to give someone a compliment to get something back. You have to give without reciprocation. Mm. But people, as, as human nature is, if you give, you typically get. Mm. People feel obligated and they want to give back to you. So, But you don't do it because you're going to get back. But I think what you're suggesting is nine times out of 10, you do get back. Yeah. And I didn't know that at the beginning. I was just I guess, a giving person because of my upbringing. Uh, this and, is interesting. And so I was just naturally giving person. Yeah. And it's like people ask me why I sell real estate. I don't sell real estate to make money. It's a fabulous byproduct of, of the career, the, the vehicle I've chosen to live my life win, within. But I sell real estate because I enjoy selling real estate. I enjoy helping people. And it, to me, it's the same as I enjoyed bartending or making movies or chauffeuring or or being a, a financial advisor to people. Mm. I, I, I want to help my peers. Mm. And a the byproduct of that is you get what you give. Mm. You've also met some very interesting people in that range of roles that you played in Canada. Give us the names of some of the most high-profile people in the world. I read them on a on your bio there before, but you tell us the names of those people. Uh, well, I've met Arnie a few times now. Arnie I've um, yeah, and I've, I've if through the film industry, I've I've met you know a fair few people that that are common household names, I suppose. Mm. And um, you asked me a question once. You said, can you have that level of celebrity, that, that fame, that wealth, and still be a, a, a kind and giving and down-to-earth person? Difficult to find. I've, I have found, but there are some out there that are wonderful, yeah. You've obviously met them. Correct. Yeah. For you to make that, that, that assessment. Yeah. Give us the story of one person that you've met and you've just been super impressed. One, you know, they've got a global profile. But, but when you actually meet them, they're so down to earth and so connectable. Who is such a person? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in through this hopefully brief story of how wrong I was and how big of a mistake I made. I was in, I was, um, in finance at the time and I wanted to meet Warren Buffett. And I did meet Warren Buffett and, and he is an incredible mentor and a fabulous person. You don't have to know him to be mentored by him because he's made some fabulous decisions in his life. But in, as part of that, I went with the owner of the company I worked with who was one of Canada's richest men, Michael Lee Chin. And I met a fellow, I was sat at a table in a very small room. There was only six tables of, of eight people and I was at 
one of them. And Al Yilchi sat beside me. Now, he's deceased now, sadly. But Al at the time, unbeknownst to me, was the 44th wealthiest person in the world and worth about yeah. $6 million. And I was sitting, sat next to him because he, we were the only two guys in the room that didn't have a date. In, that we're in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and he was intrigued by me. Vancouver, he'd been to and asked me questions. And the entire time I'm having a conversation with him, I'm looking over the next table. I'm sitting, I'm very important person. Why am I not sitting at the billionaire's table? Unknowing that I'm sitting beside one of the wealthiest men on the planet. And so he was just, and I, he kept talking about me and asking questions about me. He was so involved in me. And I'm like, this guy is really, really nice guy. I don't know him from Adam, but he's a really nice guy. And then the MC came up and introduced him as the, as the um, uh, creator of Flight Center International. He's got uh, uh, centers all over the world. He grew up in the Great Depression and would take the townsfolk for um, rides in his father's bi-wing plane for 10 yeah. cents. Yeah. Fell out of the plane at one point teaching lessons, handwritten um, um, pilot's license he would give out for a dollar. Yeah. And fell out of the plane, thankfully had a, a canopy on and said there's got to be a better way to teach people and to connect with people without actually getting up in an airplane with them. So he started that company and sold it to Warren Buffett for about $4 billion later in his life. Wow. And I remember speaking to him afterwards and apologizing for being such an idiot that I didn't recognize his magnanimous nature because he was so down to earth and so so open to to mm. and vulnerable in, in our conversation and, and more interested in me than I was in he that um, I realized a great lesson in my life that um, you know you really have to not have your blinders on and you can't take yourself too seriously you really really can yeah. you know there's there's so many more people um, less well off than you and more yeah. well off than you just live the life you can live to the best you of your ability and and be you so I and, learned that well and they taught you that yeah, I once read in your bio there that you once met the CEO of Disney. <laughs> now, I think of the CEO of Disney, and I don't even know his name that you're going to refer us to, but I would think that he or she would have to display values that are reflective of the very Disney films that I've watched for the whole of my life. And they've always been, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, loving, insightful, um, teach so much about growing up, beautiful films. What was your experience with the CEO of Disney? Well, the great experience was I didn't know he was the CEO of Disney at the time. So um, we sat across a, a, a canteen table with a, with a number of people at the table, including Tim Allen, who's a, who's a great comedian and, and, and actor. And, and some very, this was on the set of Santa Claus 2, I think, was the movie we were doing at the wow. time. Maybe and that one. I was introduced to Mike, and he was introduced to Ian. And I had no idea who he was. I know that I was in the can, camera department, and, and uh, he wasn't. And that's all I really knew. But he was really, really genuine, asked me questions about me and wanted to know about the work and how things were going and is everything okay and is the food hot and is it good and all this. And afterwards, my colleague leaned, he, he got up and left, uh, Michael Eisner, and my colleague leaned over to me and goes, so that's your boss's 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 boss. <laughs> and uh, I said, what do you mean? He goes, you see on the slate, because I, I did the slate, the clapper yeah. loader, on the slate it said, you know, Michael Eisner, yeah. Disney Productions on it. I said, oh, wow, that, I didn't, didn't know who that was. But yeah. he was there on the film set representing Disney thinking, um, you, you know, how are the workers on the front line? How, are they happy? Yeah. Are they fulfilled? Are, are, is their food warm enough? Yeah. And I think to myself, wow, for him to come off what I thought was a perch in California and be in Vancouver at the time, um, having this conversation with little old me, I thought that, that was a great life lesson. To, again, to not take yourself too seriously. Um, you're not better than anybody else on the planet. And uh, Warren Buffett believes in that too. You know, a fellow who's lived at the same house since he bought in 1954 and has given most of his money away. I so. find that a wonderful message because you've mentioned you know, three global high-profile individuals and yet you're saying that they're still touchable and connectable. Um, they're still available for, dare I say it, the person in the street. Um, you regard that as a really important quality for people to be able to handle and respond and cope and grow and maximize life? Absolutely, I do. I 
don't think the, the people that I've mentioned, there was a few celebrity names in there, but those are people who are gifted in what they do. And those are people who have perhaps greatness thrust upon them, if you yeah. use the saying, where folks like the, the Buffets and the CEOs of Disney and, and some these people have worked very, very hard to earn the positions yeah. that they're in. Yeah. And I don't think you can have that. I think it's rare that you can have that level of success by duping people. You don't become the number one real estate agent in town Mm. by duping people. It catches up with you very Mm. quickly. You have to be selfless. Mm. You have to give more than you anticipate or even want to receive. Mm. And that's where the line is drawn between true happiness and the perception of being happy. Mm. Mm. My wife taught me that. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. (laughs) Ian, let me um, let me just summarise a few things that I've heard since we've started. You know, and please forgive me if if I've substituted some of your words with my own, but that's how my memory works. I'm I'm hearing the learning of equalness from that beautiful foundation that you had with. 130 foster children in the first 16 years of your of your life you learned how to share you learned how to detach i use the word detach because you spoke about you know sharing your 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 toys your your clothes your being your meals um your parents with such children then you were speaking about that wonderful part of your life where you were looking after bars and growing the business of bars in three different countries, 23 different bars. And that was about the service industry. I wonder whether it was just as much about service as a way of life, adding, adding value uh, to people. And now you've met a lot of global high profilers through the other jobs that you had. And and even there, you could see that in order to achieve what others may say is huge successes, there is still room for the common person. There is still room for... Um, Egolessness. <laughs> I threw that one yeah. in. Yeah, the Warren Buffett stories that you're telling me there. You're telling. Me. How does this? How does all that then get expressed? For example, in something personal, like your family, in your relationship with uh, with with Linda, your dear wife. After all, you did describe her as the woman of your dreams before. Mm-hmm. Can you express how it impacts? that part of your life. Yeah. Actually I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Ian Skippen, who you had on your podcast. I remember and, he, and I believe he was paraphrasing someone else, but he it was asking as a small boy, are we wealthy? Yes, we're very wealthy and someday we'll have money. Yeah. So that's how I grew up. So when you you bring those types of values into adult life, you you tend to look for them in other people. So when I met, and I'll, hopefully I don't go on too much of a tangent about Linda, but when I met Linda, I was 30. I was just about 30, and I hadn't been in love, and I didn't think I ever would be. Terminal bachelor, my friends called me. But when I met her, it was boom, done. It was like it was like a shovel in the face. <laughs> she actually walked into a bar I was managing, and immediately she was different. She wore different clothes, and she was so beautiful. You know, I, 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 I to the point of be, I'm glad we had so many regulars at my particular bar at the front because I basically ignored them for about an hour and twenty minutes. They they were making their own drinks because I was enthralled with this girl, and we had our first date on August first, nineteen ninety seven. But the the month prior to that, it, 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 I just stalked her. I, I, knew, I, only, I didn't know her last name. I knew where she worked. So I, I sought her out because I knew I, I'd somehow within me, I knew I wanted that in my life, that being Linda. So um, I, if, if it was today, I'm sure I would have been arrested because I went to her work so much. I left her flowers, my phone number and kept insisting to see her and, 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 and whatnot. And finally she called me and I remember my roommate had just got call display at the time. So I knew her phone number. So I called her back and I insisted on her going out with me. And on August 1st, 1997, I fell in love for the first time in my life. And I remember we went to a dinner and a show and I dropped her off and I, 
Uh, she kissed me on the cheek and I drove away. Just thinking about it gives, makes me emotional. And I remember I had, was driving a CJ7 Jeep at the time, so I had no doors and, and, yeah. and roof on my car. And, and I was driving, dropped her off at home, and I was driving away. I stood up in the car with the, um, the breeze blowing all over me and just said, that's the one. That I have mm. found her. Mm. And I couldn't sleep that night. And the reason I couldn't sleep is because for the first time in my life, my reality had become better than my dreams. Wow. Wow. How many years ago was that? 25 years ago, yeah. Yeah. You spoke about not quite love it. Well, I think it was love at first sight, but you spoke about... Not for her. <laughs> <laughs> when your reality is bigger than your dreams and you are speaking in the context of loving a treasured one, mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Can you, can you give us more colour? Because if someone else is looking for that in their yeah. lives, how do they know that they've arrived at that moment? And you could easily say, oh, they'll know, they'll know. But what is the ingredients of that? Yeah, I'm not sure if, if you do know. Certainly Linda didn't know at the time, but um, certainly we've grown into such a strong relationship. If you're, if you're putting yourself out there, you have to open up. You have to become vulnerable to it. There may be some of your listeners right now sitting at home going, I'm not a social person. I'm not about to walk down and sit in the coffee shop and try and meet someone or go to the bar, but you have to put yourself out there. You gain confidence by doing it. And you might meet a mate. You might meet a, a friend or... Yeah. Um, in the true sense, a mate for life. And sure. so I think that you you really have to expose, this is coming around. you have to expose yourself to find love. Yeah. You have to expose your own feelings, your own vulnerabilities, and be able to put yourself on the line and be open to that potential heartache as well. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's um, almost as if, if there's heartache, well, a bit of welcome to life would help. Yeah. You know, it, it's okay. We, we don't have to protect ourselves against avoiding the heartache. Correct. You know, let's put ourselves out there because we might get heartache, but we also may get, oh, terrible term, victory. We may get, mm -hmm. we may get opportunity to, uh, to develop and connect with something, you know, very, very special. I think I also heard you say that it just keeps on growing and evolving. You this love you have for Linda. Yeah. Um, can you can you dig into that a little bit more? You know, without going into the intricacies. Sure. Um, but how does evolving deeper love come about? What do you What do you do to develop that and take it to another level in a treasured relationship? Love is hard work. You don't just fall in love with someone and live happily ever after. I've, I've never known anyone like, and of course, in real estate, half of what we do is for divorcing couples anyways. But um, you, you have to put that commitment together. I, I don't think, I don't know all the answers, certainly, but I don't think that fidelity happens in a relationship or sorry, infidelity happens in a relationship because someone seduced them. I think you have to be open to having that because you're unhappy in your relationship. Yeah. You have to choose to be happy. You have to make you have to make yourself happy. If you're sitting there right now and saying, "Listen, I've been in a long-term relationship, but I don't know if I'm happy." Make it happy. It's work. You have to, you know, buy, buy your spouse some flowers. Take them on a trip if you're bored. If 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 your if your love life is is um, lacking, you know, spice it. Do do something to to make your life better. You you all. I don't want to offend your listeners, but I believe you only go around one time in your life. We talked about Mae West, who said you only go <laughs> around one time in your life, but if you do it right, that once is enough. So you know, we're 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 spinning around on the. The third rock from the sun. We are an ant farm. You know, our life is so fleeting and so delicate that you got to wake up in the morning and choose to be in love, choose to be happy, choose that this day is going to be better than the day before, or at least you've learned something from the day before. Mate, I've got the tears flowing. That, <laughs> that, last, that last 30 seconds is just a little piece of gold, pal. It's, it's like almost recognizing 
that life is so special because in a way we're so insignificant. <laughs> you know, what do you call it? Third rock from the sun. Yeah. You know, um, we're like a grain of sand upon the Correct. beach. Three yeah. years after we die, no one will remember our name. Yeah. You know, so therefore, that's reason to maximise it. Do you dedicate – are you a dedicated lover of Linda every day? Do you wake up every day and say, what can I do? Is there one thing little that tells Linda, oh, my God, I love her? No. <laughs> no it's, it's hard work. Sometimes you get into your routine and, and, you know, after 25 years, you have to work on it. And so, yeah, don't, please don't get me wrong. We have arguments and, you know, we, uh, um, you know, we don't have the perfect lifestyle and we're not the perfect couple because there is no such thing. Yeah. So you have to create that. There's another saying that says, you know, success is opportunity meeting preparedness. So yeah. be at least prepared for the day. So if there's an opportunity where you see a book she might like or a rose, whatever, you know, grab that, have her in the forefront of your mind, have your partner there to be able to give without wanting anything back, yeah. just give to make someone else happy. It goes back down to foster care, goes back down to Dale Carnegie, it back, yeah. goes to all of those things. But, you know, don't take yourself too seriously and make sure that if you have someone that means something to you in their life, whether it be a spouse, a child, a, a coworker, yeah. a, a friend like you, Bernie, let them know they're important to you because... Yeah they are important to you and yeah. they should know that. So you've spoken about the gift of a book, uh, maybe the gift of a phone call, yeah. uh, the gift of a flower. Not yeah. meaning to catch you out, just interested in the regularity of this type of thinking and how it, how it transfers into action. How often would one of those little acts would you give to a treasured one like your spouse? Well, I know it's never often enough. If, if it's not daily, it's not often answer. enough. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful answer. And Linda and I express our love for each other, in other words, by creating wonderful homes and, and yeah. molding our three teenagers, our, our young minds. We mold them as best we can. You know, our, our electronics are not invited to dinner. There is, um, there's always the phone call that we have a son now in, in university. So there's the phone call, you know, let, let's keep in touch. Let's make sure that communication says, let's get it to the bottom of the feelings here. Yeah. Let's, let's make sure that we're creating that. There is nothing more important in my life than family. It's the yeah. most important thing. And if you were to ask any of my children, what's the most important thing? Their answer would be family. Cause we've, we've, from my upbringing, we've tried to instill that in them and family doesn't need to be blood, by the way. I've got 133 family members beside my own brothers and sisters. Are you still in contact with some of them? No, mo um, very few, only only a couple. Um, many of them were quite fleeting, Bernie. Yeah. I mean, we might have had a, someone in our house for, for two months when I was, you know, seven years old. I, I can't even remember their names, yeah. but I remember the instances that um, created memories from them in my life. Yeah. And I hold on to those with fondness. Yeah. And uh, but um, when we had one of our our kids that came back, and with her own child after being a troubled teen that came to us and happy with her own family and life, that was that was very fulfilling. Wow! 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 This has been a fascinating discussion, Ian. Um, and and again, for those that are closely listening there's a lot of gems here i'm going to wrap it up or move towards wrapping it up with perhaps three questions and i want you to really cut to the chase give us the one minute elevator reply and response because you're getting off at the next floor okay and the first question is for anybody listening to this podcast, in a nutshell, what should any one of us do to become a more loving human being? That means see greater love for self, greater love for others, and greater love for life. From all of your experiences, what's the one, two, or three things we should all contemplate doing? I'd like to answer with the first one, which may be counterintuitive to your question, but t to listen and not to speak. I mean, you know, we were born with 
two ears and one mouth and listen to other people. Let them tell you their story so your reaction to them can be of some benefit. Secondly, give unto others and, and try and be unselfish about this. Again, you got one time to go around and you don't want to live and die anonymously on this planet. At least affect others in some positive way. Yeah. Be remembered on your tombstone as great guy, great gal, teacher, influencer, um, positive nature, nice smile, mm. something like that. Mm. And third, I think that you have to work hard to maintain any relationship you have in your life, yeah. whether it be with friends, family, loved ones, coworkers. Take a moment in the morning and just say to yourself, how can I lighten their load? How can I put a smile on their face? How can I make them feel better than they felt a minute ago? Mm -hmm. Or how can I learn something from them to make yourself better than you were mm. yesterday such simple suggestions and the three of them have one thing in common that is all of them are a gift they are the person who's not absorbed so much in themselves that they can't give because their absorption's within all three of them asks us to forget ourselves, take time to listen to others, take time to add a bit more value, take time to maintain the beauty that we already have by forgetting self and serving, adding value to others, even if it be with listening ears. Second last question. How does Ian Souter maintain or grow his own happiness? I think there has been enough suggested in this podcast that your happiness is not connected to your bank account. It's not necessarily connected to the things that you own. They can create a nice environment. But I'd be surprised if you weren't as happy as you are now with or without some of those things. Sure. In other words, your happiness is not reliant on events or what you necessarily own. How does Ian Souter maintain or grow that inner happiness? A couple of things. Humor is a huge part of my life. It really, really is. And I mentioned earlier that we base our friendship circle on those who are funny, those who like to laugh out loud. And uh, our good friends, the Swartz and the Campbells and the Clarks, that we hang out with each other because we laugh out loud. Don't take yourself so seriously all the time. We have a great saying in Canada, every now and again, you have to whip down your pants and slide on the ice. <laughs> and, and, and by the... <laughs> oh, I got bum burned. <laughs> but by that you mean, you know, just go for it. Put yourself out there. Just do what you say you're going to do and, and create a, a lifestyle that has laughing and smiling and humor in it. Yeah. All three of my kids are very funny. My wife is very funny. My friends are very funny. My coworkers are funny. The one who dies with the most laugh lines on their face wins. Wow, 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 wow. You ready for the last question? I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming that you know, love is strong in one's life and it's founded on sustainable inner happiness. And given that you're 54 and uh, you might hit 90, you might even hit three figures, so, but you're on the, the other side of halfway. Um, what do you think in the perspective of life you will say was the meaning of your life or what would you suspect is the meaning of life? I'm not asking for a definitive answer. I'm asking for Ian Souter's view, meaning of life. 
As I mentioned before, we have a very limited time span. We have everyone has an expiry date, and you may believe something else, but I believe we have an expiry date. So, you know, that th there was a, a news item they've just put up a new telescope looking billions of years into the into the um, universe. We're a grain of sand, as you mentioned, Bernie. Connect with people. Whether you've had tragedy in your life and you'll never be in love again connect with people. Whether you're in a new community, an old community, uh, a new situation, a new job, connect with people. Yeah. There's so much to learn from each other. There's so much wealth within everyone else. Try and open yourself up to sponging, absorbing other people's life experiences to make your own life more fulfilled. Well, good man, my suggestion to you is that what you have done in the last hour or so, you should do more often. Because the experiences and the learnings that you offer are quite profound. And I have no doubt that those that have taken the time to listen to this podcast will probably be shaking their head up and down at the moment, saying, yes. There's so much to learn from Ian Souter. Ian, I thank you ever so much. It was great climbing Kilimanjaro with you all those years ago. And I look forward to many more adventures um, as we uh, both hit that other side of life. Thank you for being a part of this journey with Bernie. Cheers, Ian. Thank you, Bernie. I look forward to summoning another, summiting another mountain with you. <laughs> Take care, pal. Thanks. Bernie. Thank you, listeners. Bye. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course, the contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books, or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au then ring my equally enthusiastic associate, Taylor Pierce, on 0419-195-953. That's 0419-195-953. Embrace the journey, dear people. Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember... Mm -hmm.